Should be on? Okay, we're good. Um, Today's reading is Psalm 131 and Psalm 132. If you're somebody who wants to look for that in the the Bible in front of you, I think it's on page 519 in that um, chair in front of you, chair Bible. I guess it's not a pew Bible anymore. Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. And then Psalm 132. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or get into my bed I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Behold, we heard of it in Ephrathah. We found it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord. And go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed one. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine." Let me encourage you to keep your Bibles open there if you opened a copy of the Scriptures there. Um, If you haven't, let me encourage you to grab a Bible, go to page 519 if it's there in the seats there, um, or on your phone, app, hieroglyphics, whatever you, uh, you choose to use there. So, in 2018... Chick-fil-A had a commercial that ran 
Uh, maybe you'll remember it. It was called Every Life Has a Story. Uh, basically what they did is they showed people walking into Chick-fil-A and ordering their sandwiches and things like that. And then um, on it, as they were doing that, of course, there's music playing in the background and things. But then there's little things that would pop up, little, uh, little messages, right? Okay, And it would pop up and say about what that person was going through. Okay, a life circumstance or a situation that uh, that they were going through. Um, so uh, so anyway, um, so uh, this was something that was going on uh, in uh, in the restaurant. There's the you know life circumstances and things are going up, and uh, it, it, it's true, right? Um, when people gather. Uh, they have a story. Everyone has a story that sometimes we, people don't know about, life circumstances that they may be going through that's unknown to other people. Um, and even when people gather together for a common purpose, uh, people come together and they have a different story or a different background or maybe even something uh, even that week or the weeks prior to it. Psalm 130 is in 131 and 132. We're going to look at each one of these uh, briefly this morning. Uh, each one of them, they are part of what's called the Psalms of Ascent, okay? There's a section in the book of Psalms that are uh, Psalm 120 through 134. You'll see the headings. They're Psalms of Ascent. What does that mean? Well, it was part of the festival celebrations in Jerusalem. Uh, not sure here. Sorry about that. Not sure what's going on there. Okay, uh, they are part of the festal celebrations in Jerusalem. They were recited often at the Feast of the Tabernacles. Um, and the reason why they're called the Psalms of Ascent was because when they would go to Jerusalem, they'd have to go up the hill, go up the Mount Zion. They had to go up the hill. And as they ascended the hills uh, to the Temple Mount, uh, these would be some songs uh, that they uh, might be singing, okay? And they were, they were partly designed for that. Um, and so while all the psalms may have been sung in the context of a worship gathering, the psalms we are looking at today have special, uh, unique designation for being sung as God's people approach the gathering place of worship here. Um, I'm going to pray. I'm just going to stop and pray, okay? Father, I do not know what's going on with the sound system here, and it is extraordinarily distracting. And so, Lord, I, I pray that it would stop and that we'd be able to continue uh, talking about your word uh, in a way that isn't uh, distracting. So, Lord, this is what we're asking for, if it be your will. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Yes. This is my jacket. You think it's my jacket? Okay. All right. We're going to try a bunch of different things here. So we started with prayer. That was a good thing. Now we go to the, the other stuff. So you think it's the jacket? You think it? Okay. So I don't move? Okay. All right. All right. We'll see if that works. Okay. All right. So anyway, um, so like the ancient Israelites, okay, who, who had diverse backgrounds of coming up to the Temple Mount. Because, and again, this is as they were coming up to the Temple Mount and as they were getting ready to worship, this would have been times where they were coming with different uh, uh, feelings and emotions and, and circumstances. And so, just like the ancient Israelites, we too have diverse backgrounds and life experiences in our congregation even today that are affecting the composition of this worship service and anytime we gather together. And it really changes from week to week as well. 
even if the same people are in attendance because we all have different circumstances, we all have different backgrounds, and, and, and we come to church in this worship gathering in a different way. And so while we approach, what, what we're going to do is we're going to look at these three psalms. We're going to look at approaching a worship gathering from three perspectives, and, and perhaps you can relate to one or more of these. And so we're going to see one in Psalm 130, we're going to see one in Psalm 131, then we're going to see one in Psalm 132. Of course, these aren't the only three. It's not an exhaustive list, but it is something uh, that maybe will help uh, our thinking. And so those three perspectives, we're going to look at the discouraged soul, we're going to look at the content soul, and then we're going to look at the earnest soul. But let's pray and uh, ask God's blessing. Father, we prayed just a minute ago about the sound system, pray that, uh, that that goes away. But also, Lord, now, anytime we open your word, anytime we discuss your word, God, we need, we need you to, to guide us. Uh, this, is, this is not something that we take lightly. This is, this is your word that is open before us. And so as I have the, this incredible privilege to, to discuss, to teach, to preach from this word here, Lord, I pray that I would say only things that are true and accurate to the text, God. And I pray your spirit would, would make it relevant to each of our lives as we have uh, gathered here today. So, Lord, we just ask for your blessing. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. First of all, Psalm 130, the discouraged soul, the discouraged soul. This is what we're going to be looking at today, the discouraged soul. Okay, one of the things I want you to notice right away when we look at the text there, the verse 1 of Psalm 130 says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. So I want you to notice the self-description. There's going to be three things I want you to notice about this psalm. First of all, notice the self-description that uh, this person has uh, who's the author of this, right? And we don't know exactly who it is, but uh, this person, he is in the depths, okay? Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Now, again, in ancient Near East, this idea of depths, immediately the people here who first would have read this and who would have been singing this as they walked up to the Temple Mount, they would have been thinking about the, uh, something like uh, uh, the sea and, and how deep the ocean is or how deep the Mediterranean is and, and the chaotic nature of it. Again, uh, uh, in, in, uh, in this thought of that day, the, the sea represents chaos, and it represented this idea of unrest and, and even evil and calamity to a degree. And so here, this person's writing, and this person is, is, is putting this down, and then as a group of people are marching towards the worship service, and they're getting ready to gather at the temple, uh, this person here is saying, it's out of the depths I cry to you, God. This person wasn't a person that was coming to church that day, to use the modern day term. He wasn't coming to church that day all happy and enjoying and joyful. There was, there was some turmoil in this person's soul. He was crying out of the depths. This idea of suffocating. Having a hard time to breathe. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever been in a situation where, where you, you, it's just... Life circumstances are just so pressing upon you that it's hard to even breathe. We don't know why this person was discouraged, so we're not told here, but that it seems that it's possible that consequences of sin could have been part of the reason. Look at verse 3 and 4. It says, For if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. And, and in verse 2 he talks about God's mercy. And so it, we, he's not explicit about why this person was in turmoil and in uh, a discouragement, 
But it seems that it's possible that sin and the consequences of sin were part of it. He was wrestling with this. Maybe people come to church and bad decisions, sins affect, weigh them down. And oftentimes I, I hear people that they stop going to church because of decisions they've made. And they feel like they can't come here, can't come to church. It's missing the point. This is a place we got to come. This is, this is a group of sinners right here, okay? All right? I mean, every one of you, as angelic as you look, are a sinner, okay? I, I am a sinner. We are all gathered here, not because we're good, not because we're better, but because Jesus Christ has made it possible for our sins to be forgiven. That's why we're here. But there's times where, where we feel our sin or we feel the life circumstances or we see things and it, it, it's so discouraging to us. And let me just encourage you, if that's you, if you've, if you've come in here, maybe you've come in with a smile, but internally it's been very difficult for you. Let me just, let me just encourage you from Psalm 130 this morning and say that this was out of the depths he cried to you. He says, hear my voice. And then and notice though that it's, that there's a path forward here that he talks about here. There's this, there's this path forward. First of all, the first thing he does is he ruminates on the ramifications of forgiveness. This idea of ruminate is, 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 is such a, a more potent word than think, okay? I mean, ruminate has this idea of where it's just constantly going through your mind. It's just constantly going through your mind. It's, it's like that time where you just can't stop thinking about something. It's, it's like... It's like it's like a Mooya burger, okay? All right? I mean, you think about Mooya burger, and it's just like, man, that's a, such a good burger. If you haven't had a Mooya burger, mm, you're missing out, okay? It's like you start thinking about it, and it's like, man, that is a good burger. I want a burger. It just keeps going through your mind at times. Maybe you're like, eh, I'm not into burgers, okay? You have your own vice, okay? All right? Don't judge me, okay? But the point is, the point is, is that there's something sometimes that just occupies our mind, right? It just keeps going through. What this person does, out of the depths he's crying to God, he's crying out for mercy, and he's ruminating on the forgiveness of God. Why does he go there? He says, but with you there's forgiveness. He says, if you are going to mark iniquities, who can stand? He says, if you're going to hold everyone accountable for their since there's no one left. I mean, there's nobody. There's not a single person that could stand before God and say, I've lived a good life. I've lived a righteous life. I've lived a life that's sin-free. There's no one. And this is what this person is saying. Is he's, he's, he's ruminating on this, and then his mind goes to God's forgiveness. This is why he's going to the Temple Mount. This is why he's gathering for a worship service. It's because it's the forgiveness of God that is drawing that person. And my friend, let the forgiveness of God draw you. Let the forgiveness of Christ draw you this morning. So he ruminates on this. But notice, look at this. It says in the text here, it says, but with you there's forgiveness, right? Okay, and that's just such a wonderful phrase. And we just want to say, that is awesome. But the verse doesn't stop there. Did you notice that? It doesn't stop there. There's more to it. It says, but with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. You see, God's forgiven us for a purpose. And so that we fear him, you say, oh, man, that just sounds so egotistical. Yeah, we won't cower in face of God all the time. He just wants people cowering. No, that's not what the word means. The word means just this awe, this reverence, this respect. 
just is absolutely blown away by the goodness of God because God wants that for us because that's what's best for us. God wants us because we're designed to worship. You remember going back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they were designed to have fellowship with God and sin just obliterated that. And so God says, this is what you're designed for. You will be most satisfied. You will be most happy when you're in fear of me in the terms of worship, in terms of respect. And he says, that's why forgiveness is there. And so it restores the relationship that sin just absolutely broke. So my discouraged friend, maybe you've come to church, this worship gathering, just like the ancient Israelite of old, walking up the hill, Mount Zion. And other people rejoicing, but internally, maybe you've come, your heart's discouraged. Can I please just plead with you? Ruminate of the forgiveness of Christ. There is no sin too great for God's forgiveness. Nothing. He said, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't. But I know what God's Word says. And God's Word says, if we confess our sins, if we repent of our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, my friend. So as you enter the worship service discouraged, and maybe it wasn't today, but it will be in the future, we're all prone to different feelings and emotions, ruminate on the forgiveness of Christ. But then there's another path to it. This is this idea of waiting, right? It says, verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. In His Word, I hope. Okay? And so we have this concept here of, of this person saying, okay, I'm going to ruminate on the forgiveness of Christ. But here's the, here's the thing that I infer from this, is that feelings don't change just like that, okay? Feelings don't just, just change like, okay, I'm going to meditate on the forgiveness of God, boom, no longer discouragement, right? No, sometimes it's a process. Sometimes it takes time. And here, what this person is encouraging us today to do is if we come to worship service and we're, 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 and we're, and we're, we're feeling discouraged, we're feeling the effects of sin possibly, we're feeling something else going on, Wait on the Lord. Just, just, just wait on the Lord. Hope in Him. Hope in His Word. That's what it says. It says, in His Word I hope. You see, the reason why he said that is because he knew the promises of God. He knew what God was saying about forgiveness. He knew what God was saying about how that he could have his relationship restored with God because God had, is a merciful God and has always made a way for that possible for his people. And here today, we have the opportunity to. So as you're listening to, you know, this guy talk up here for a while, okay, you know, hoping the mic doesn't freak out, or whatever it is, can I just encourage you, take a breath. Let your mind go to the forgiveness of God. And can I just please plead with you, I'm just going to wait on you and trust you that your word is true. So, Notice the path forward. He ruminates on the ramifications of forgiveness. He waits for the hope, uh, waits, uh, waits for the Lord in hope of his word, in hope in him, it says here, 
In verse 7, it says, hope in the Lord. But then there's one other thing that I wanted to point out here, is I want you to notice the progression. There's a progression here from personal to corporate worship. It starts with I in verse 1, but look in verse 7. It says, O Lord, hope in the Lord. Or excuse me, O Israel, hope in the Lord. So this person who's entering the worship service is discouraged, is down, is, just, is depressed, is feeling this, this, this terribleness going on in their soul, ruminates on the forgiveness of God, hopes in God, hopes in His forgiveness, and then the response is to take part in a corporate worship service here. It's a beautiful thing. There's, there's no, notice here, there's no penance here. Notice here, there's no cleaning yourself up. Notice there's no, like, okay, you've got to make sure that you live the next two, three weeks, you know, squeaky clean here. Then you can get to the worship service. Then you can get here. No, 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 no. It's immediate here. In a few minutes, we're going to celebrate at the Lord's Supper here. And this is, you know, I've had people over the years tell me, they say, you know, I just don't feel worthy to take the table uh, and elements because I've sinned this last week and so I'm refraining from it. And every time someone tells me that, my heart breaks a little bit. Because if you're holding on to sin that you know is sin and you're holding on to it and say, I'm not going to give it up, I don't care, of course, then you should refrain from the table. But if, if you've confessed your sin to God, the table's where you need to be at. This is, this, is, this is a great opportunity to help us ruminate on the forgiveness of Christ. This is an opportunity for us to be in a corporate worship service here. So uh, before I, I, I move on, because I've got two other psalms to talk about, and you're like, oh boy, you know, I, I, you know. No, 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 this one was the longest one, okay? All right, okay, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. So um, here's, here's the thing is, is that, um, um, yes, you know, uh, uh, keep in mind, though, that even though the person was discouraged, they still showed up for the corporate service. There's some real application there. You don't always feel it gathering together. I get it. I understand. There's times, honestly, if, if, if I can be completely honest with you, um, and I generally try to be honest, okay? <laughs> All right. Um, I, there's times I just don't feel like I should get, walk up these steps and preach, okay? There's just times it, for various reasons. But every time I gather with my brothers and sisters, God uses it to encourage my soul. So let me just encourage you that way today. So maybe you've come in a discouraged sense here. This psalm is helpful for you here. Okay, but we have, we have what about someone who maybe they say, you know, I, 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 you know, you're almost feeling guilty at this point. You're like, man, maybe I should be discouraged, but I'm not. I'm kind of content here. Uh, how does the Bible help me there? Well, Psalm 131 is helpful to us. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 131. It says, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. Uh, what is he talking about there? Um, he, he's, he's really talking about a condition here. And we know that David wrote this. And most likely this was added at the end of his, uh, his reign and added later on. Uh, but uh, but he's, he's kind of thinking back on, on some things. And, and, and notice uh, uh, his condition here. As he talks about his condition as being calm and quiet of soul, verse 2 there. Now, the good news is that having a soul that is calm and quiet is possible. 
even in the midst of noise and chaos, okay? It, it seems when you look at this, it says that, that this has been something that he has worked for, and I'm going to get to that in a second here, but he says, my heart is not lifted up. What he's talking about there is he's talking about that, that pride hasn't ruled his heart right now, isn't ruling his heart right now. That's what he's talking about there. Okay? Now, now think about this, though. He says his heart is calm and quiet, but I want you to think about what you know about David's life journey. Now, for those of you who may not remember here, or just by a quick review, uh, David was a king of Israel, okay? And so Israel started as a theocracy. Israel started out that they're going to be ruled by God and not have a king. They demanded a king. They wanted an earthly king. All the other nations had it, and so they wanted a king. And so there was a great, you know, disappointment with the prophet at the time. God says, don't worry about it. They're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. We'll give them a king. First king was class. Who was the first king? Saul. Very good. Okay, so Saul was the first king. Okay, so Saul becomes the king. He messes up. He's, he, he, it's, not, it's not a good situation. Okay, David then becomes the second king of Israel. Okay, now David, now think about how he becomes king, though. I mean, when it comes time to appoint the new king, uh, the prophet is told to go to uh, a certain man and has a bunch of sons. He says it's going to be one of his sons. And so, guess what God tells the prophet? So the prophet goes and, and has all the sons stand in front of him. And uh, God's saying, not this one, not this one, not this one. And so finally, the prophet asked the father, Jesse, he's like, hey, uh, you got any more sons? And he's like, ah, yeah, there's a little one out in the field, but, you know, he's just keeping it. And so prophet says, bring him in. God says, this is the one, okay? So this is David's life journey. It starts with being rejected, right? Being left in the field, okay? This is where it starts, okay? But then, then, then after he's anointed, it's kind of kept on the down low. It's, 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 it's not talked about publicly for a little bit, right? Okay, so here's what happens then. God works it out so that Saul is really troubled. He's, 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 got this, he's got this anger problem and things like this. And so the people around King Saul, they say, here's how we're going to help Saul out. We're going to get someone to come in and play music to soothe his soul, okay? And guess who is skilled with some music? The little runt in the field, David, okay? And so they say, let's bring David in here. So, okay, not only is David, he starts out being rejected and left in the field, but then his first job is to try to keep the angry king quiet, okay, with music. That's not stressful, not at all, okay? To be in this king that could just, just be, you know, go off, he's got an anger problem, and your task is to play music so he doesn't flip out, okay? That was the job description, and then it leads to, there's a couple times where, you know, it didn't always work out. There were some javelins thrown, okay, all right, at David's head, okay. So the, how can anyone say the Bible's not interesting, by the way, right, okay. So, so this is David's life story, okay. He becomes an armor bearer. He's hunted by this jealous king. Later, he's going to be betrayed by his own son. His own son is going to betray him. Remember uh, Psalm 2 talks about this. And so this was going to be, he he. he falls into, he has terrible failure, sexual sin that leads to conspiracy and murder. This is David's story. And yet he says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. How is that possible? How is that possible? Now, David doesn't mean that he's always been this way. We see plenty of times where his soul is not this way. But it does mean that there were times, and sweet times, when his soul was just content. And when he's going to the Psalms, or going to the, 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 uh, the Temple Mount to worship, 
that people are singing this and remembering the times where David's soul, or David's soul was quiet and content. So how did he get there? How did he get there? All right, well, first of all is humility. This is what I talked about in verse 1. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great, too marvelous for me. There was times where he had the opportunity to take the kingship, to take the throne by force, and he refused to do so. There was a couple times where he could have killed King Saul and taken the throne that he knew that it was eventually going to be his, but he says, I will not raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. He said, I won't do it. That's what he's referring to here. He's not saying that he was sinless. He's not saying that he was perfect. But he's saying that God had worked in his heart. And when he did sin, he repented. Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is a psalm that where he pours out his heart. Remember I told you about that sexual sin that led to conspiracy and murder? Remember that? Psalm 51 is David's response, his repenting of that sin. It's a beautiful beautiful psalm to read. Psalm 51, read it. This is what he's referring to. He's not saying that he was perfect or sinless. He's saying, but God had always worked in his heart, and he confessed his sin, and that he was embracing humility. There were times where he would, uh, he could have taken action against his enemies, but he waited on the Lord in humility. But not only does it take humility, but also it takes, it seems to take great effort here. It says in verse 2, I have calmed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child with his mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. It's this idea, this, uh, this word wean there can also mean content or a contented child here. And so here he's saying that this is something that I have really worked on. I've worked on making sure that my soul is calm and quiet. Now, how did he do that? Meditating on the Word. He did that through going to these worship gatherings that this is all it's about. He, he quieted his soul by working hard when he didn't feel like it. It's really difficult to control our emotions and our feelings. And um, I think, yeah, it was in Adult Discipleship Hour uh, the, the, the professor in the short video clip we watched, he talked about how that in today's world, what the common understanding is, is that what our feeling is in that moment is what is most true about us. But that is not true. What is most true about us, as the professor pointed out very helpfully, what is true about us is what God says about us. And so our feelings sometimes say one thing. Our feelings sometimes say that, you know, we're a failure. We're never going to amount to anything. Our feelings sometimes say that, you know, it's not worth it or, 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 or we focus on all the wrong things. And David here says, I am consciously quieting and calming my soul. This is Philippians chapter 4. Finally, my brother, whatever things are true, whatever things are lovely, think on these things says. We have to take captive our thinking. In Romans chapter 12, it says that we're to be transformed, how? By the renewing of our minds, right? This is why we need to be saturated in the Word. This is why we have to, to, have to be reading the Word for ourselves. This is why we gather together to, 
to, to you know, have the Word taught, to, to sing the Word, uh, to, to, to meditate on the Word at the table. This is the reason why we get together so that we have relationships. This is why we have small groups so you can bear one another's burdens and you can point each other to the Scriptures and you can help each other. You can pray together in your small groups. This is the reason why we have adult discipleship hour and Sunday school classes is so that the Word of God will dwell in us richly as the Scriptures say. You see, this is how David calmed and quieted his soul. How do I know that? Because he wrote so much of it. And he meditated. In his law does he meditate day and night. So how David gets there, it's humility, but then it's effort. And again, verse 3 shows us that there's a movement from personal to corporate. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. It's like he, he talks about his contentment, and as he's going to the worship service, and he's, he's talking about his contentment in God, and then all of a sudden he says, I can't help but share this with other people. And he looks around at the people that are going up to the Temple Mount and with him, and he says, he says we got a hope in God here. This is God who is good, and he's worthy of our worship. This is why we gather together, because we need to encourage one another. We need to be together. We need to to uphold one another. We need to be praying for each other. And again, we see it moving from a personal worship, and it's not, that's not enough. It's got to move into a corporate sense. I love how we see this in these two Psalms. So we've looked at two perspectives so far. We looked at the discouraged soul, right? Then we looked at someone who says, you know, I'm content in it, but how did he get there? It's this idea of taking every thought captive. It's about meditating on the scriptures. It's about effort in calming the soul. And then when we come in together, that's why we gather together. That's why there's a time of long teaching here, is it gives you space to just think and meditate in the midst of a noisy chaotic world. Hopefully the notifications are dinging on your phones and smartwatches. That's one of the beautiful things about a church gathering is it's time to exhale and to think the contentment of soul. There's one other soul, one other person who's walking up the Temple Mount, one other person who walked the steps and came into the church today. And that is described in one Psalm 132, and that's the earnest soul, the earnest soul. What do I mean by the earnest soul? Well, earnest has this idea of, of being completely focused, right? This idea of passionate, okay? So I won't take time to read all of Psalm 132. It was, it, was, it was read for us here, but let me give you some background, first of all. The background is understanding this, is, and first of all, you need to understand that these Psalms aren't written chronologically, uh, there is, uh, uh, you know, there's lots of gaps in time when this happened. This psalm, it appears, is much later. After Israel loses their unity, they had the divided kingdom, they go into captivity. we have the Assyrian kept the army invasion, we have the Babylonian army invasion, if you study your history, and Israel gets invaded and gets brought into captivity, and they lose this, okay? It seems that, that this psalm is written or was brought into the, the liturgy when Israel was in captivity or shortly after they were released from captivity. When Israel went into captivity, the temple was destroyed and the Davidic dynasty was gone. Now, to this group of people, you couldn't have asked for a worse scenario than that. The temple being where they gathered for worship was gone. Now, it will be rebuilt, 
Okay, and it's possible that when Psalm 132 was written, it had been rebuilt to a degree because they're walking to the Temple Mount. So most likely there was some rebuilding that had already taken place. But the Davidic dynasty was gone. And you remember, this was their hope. The hope was that the covenant God made with David was that the throne would never leave his family. And so the earnest person, it seems here that God was not keeping his word. It seemed that he had, this person had, had, had put their trust in God, had, had been following God, but it seems like it's not panning out for them. And yet as this person walks to the Temple Mount to worship God, it seems that, that there is this song that's in their heart and is being sung by the people here that, that, that they're saying uh, about what God had promised here. So as these pilgrims came back to Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity, they really had mixed emotions, and that's what the psalm captures here. They, they, they knew that the temple was being rebuilt, but the monarchy was still not there. And so tremendous mixed feelings as they were walking back up to that temple mount. But notice, they still gathered, even with mixed feelings. They still did what was right, even though they had mixed feelings. There's a lesson for us in that. There's a lesson for us. So let me explain this psalm a little bit here. The first half is really a prayer for God to keep His Word. We see this in verse 1 all the way through verse 10. That's what's happening here. It's a prayer to God saying, Remember, O Lord, in David's favor, okay, and all the hardships that he deserved. He, he's recalling here, the song is recalling David's obedience and, and, and the reason why God had, had made this covenant with David. And, and he talks about here how David said that he wouldn't enter his house or go to sleep. He says, listen, I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to rest until God gets a temple built. Remember, it was David who initiated this because during the time it was, uh, uh, they had a tabernacle, a tent that the Ark of the Covenant, which was a sign of God's special presence uh, uh, after they left Egypt. And, and so we have this thing as that was their gathering place of worship at the time, this tabernacle, this tent. And David says, why is it that I'm a king? I'm living in this palace here. And yet, you know, God's you know, place of worship is in this tent. He says, I'm going to build a house. And, and, and God says, you're not going to build me a house. Your son will, but you're not going to. But I'm going to give you a kingdom. I'm going to give you a throne. And it's never going to be removed. It was, it was such an incredible time for the people of Israel as they came out of Egypt, that they had hope. They had God's promise. They had God's covenant. They were so happy. And then this happens. I was like, God, remember David, he, he said he was going to build it. He said he wouldn't even sleep, verse 4, until he finds a place for the Lord, the temple. And then verses 6 and following talks about how the, they had to go and find the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was, uh, was taken by the Philistines and then moved from town to town all over the place. They lost track of it for a while. And then we can read about this in the books of First and Second Samuel of how then they get it back there. And then they reestablish this place of worship. And so verse 8 says, Arise, O Lord, go to your resting place, that you and your ark might, uh, uh, in the ark of your might. Okay, this is the only reference, by the way, of the Ark of the Covenant in all the book of Psalms, right here. And so here we have this person reminding God and praying to God and saying, Please keep your word. He says, you know, for your sake, verse 10, for the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. He says, you made this covenant with him. That's the first half. Reminding God of his promise, pleading with him to keep his promise. But there's a second half. The second half, then, is really God's reaffirming 
uh, his covenant, and he had a reaffirming response. This is verse 11 through 18. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. Quote, and then the rest of this is God's words that's being quoted there. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne, if your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them. Their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. And so the second half of this, this psalm here is that saying that God will not turn back. But there's a condition there in verse 12. It says that if they keep the covenant. Now, you know that that's why they were in the situation they were in. Because they didn't keep the covenant. And they faced God's judgment. But it's still hard. These people long to go back to the time of David's covenant. They didn't know that God will keep His word. In verse 17, it says, There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will close with shame, but on him his crown will shine. You know, we can get all into all the details of it, but basically this culminates in Jesus Christ, in the new covenant, okay, that Jeremiah chapter 31 talks about. So here we have this earnest person singing this praise song, walking up the Temple Mount, and saying, God, you have promised these things. I have, I have staked my life on this. I have believed in this. And it seems like that there's no path forward. It seems like it is only despair ahead of me. I, I can't see the path forward. And God says, don't worry. I've got it. I've got it. And maybe, maybe people come here. And what you believe to be true in your life experiences, they just don't seem to always line up. God's got it. Here's the beautiful thing. Verse 12 talks about that if they keep the covenant, that was their hope. So God didn't have to do anything else. That new covenant I mentioned a few minutes ago, Jesus says, I will keep that covenant for you. That's what we celebrate at the table here. And so it's this beautiful thing. So if you're coming here earnestly in your soul, you're coming here saying, God, you have things for me. I know you have things for us. I know this, but I've just seen it realized. Let me just say, wait, God has it all worked out, and it may not seem like it. I mean, these people, this is the reason why these passages are in here, is because we feel like that God has abandoned us. No, 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 He hasn't. He hasn't. I plead with you to believe that, that He's not abandoned. It is against His nature, it is against His essence of who He is to not keep His word. And so He, James says this, or, or, or Titus maybe, it says, is Titus, that God, He cannot lie. And so if God has promised things, he will keep it. He absolutely will keep it. So what we do in here is we recall God's mercy. We recall God's mercy. So maybe people have come to church silently wondering if God's going to keep His word about all sorts of needs that they may have, maybe financial needs or maybe relationship things or maybe about giving peace. Just remember that God's never promised that everything's always going to be easy and He's never promised that He'll give us everything we want. But He ha- but and the reason why is because He knows that often we want things that aren't best for us. But He has promised to give us everything we need and what is best for us so that we can be the best person possible. God has promised to do this. So let this psalm reassure you that God will indeed keep your word. So here's what we hope today. 
We hope that by walking through these psalms quickly this morning, that you would see that there's a variety of emotions. There's a variety of approaches that people have when they come to a worship service. But they came. But they came. And in the end, in every case, it ends up with worship of God. So that Chick-fil-A commercial is true. Everyone does have a story. Everyone is carrying something. And the point isn't that you must fall into one of the three categories that we mentioned here today. But, I mean, you probably will one time or another, but the point is that you will have different feelings when Sunday rolls around. And in the end, it's best to gather for worship regardless of what we're feeling that day because this is what God wants us to do. And this is part of how we find hope. And then these are, it's a great space that God has designed for us to ruminate on, on His love and His forgiveness and His mercy.